good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Rodi, your host for this short program. Uh, and thank you for joining us. We're coming to you from the studios at the Coming Home Network International. And just in case it's the first time you've connected to Deep in Scripture, you can find out more about all the old programs at uh, chnetwork.org or you can go to deepinscripture.com, all the old archived programs. And you can find out more about the work at the Coming Home Network at our website. We've been doing this series of programs called Hard Verses, and what we're looking at is that scriptures, there are scriptures that seem easy on the surface, that seem to need no additional explanation. There's some that uh, at first glance uh, are, are maybe a, a bit cloudy, but once somebody gives you a good explanation, they say, oh yeah, now I understand it, and you can move on, fit it into your theology. But there are some verses that you just always keep up on the nice shelf. I'm not sure what to do with those, how they fit into my theology. And, and the reality is that, uh, that depending on what tradition you come from, some verses are easy and some of them are hard. And I, I asked my guests to talk about verses that uh, pose that issue depending on where they came from or how they come to understand it in their own walk of faith. And it's a great privilege to have today on the program uh, Matthew Leonard uh, of the St. Paul Center. Matt, welcome to the program. It's great to be with you, Marcus. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's it's great to have you back. I wish I have you more often. Uh, I'm so uh, always pleased to hear what the St. Paul Center is doing. Uh, in fact, you got a, a brand new video program that's come out, right? Yeah, the Bible and the Virgin Mary is uh, the the very first one of the journey through Scripture studies that has come to video, and it is uh, boy, it's going like crazy. It's on fire actually, and is <laughs> I think it's streamed to almost two hundred thousand people now, or two hundred thousand views, and it's it's just it's going great guns, and we get emails all the time of people whose lives have been just transformed by that, it. It's really exciting to be a part of. That is it's just awesome. It's it really is neat to see. Um, you know, we know. I think we're discovering why it was. You know, mankind has never created anything. We give ourselves credit for doing things, but in reality, all these technological blessings were a part of the garden in the first place. And it's just by God's grace, once in a while, He lets somebody uh, have an awakening to something that's already there in creation that God has provided for mankind. And of course, the reason for all technology ultimately is so that we can help all of mankind grow closer to our Lord to the, so that hopefully all mankind can experience the beatific vision. So in terms of the media, the social media, the internet, and all those great technologies that God has given to us, uh, sometimes we've gotten off base on the use of those. And sometimes people are not using them for blessed reasons. For sure. But I think even as I hear the work, especially that you're doing, as well as what we're doing here at the Coming Home Network, we're seeing the good side. Uh, and we need, we, yeah, we need to utilize all these resources. I mean, because this is where the world is. This is where we need to be. And, and also, I think that one of the greatest things that's been happening in the Catholic world is that the bar has been raised for our level of production and what we need to do. We're never going to outglitz and outglamour the world because I think so much of what they do revolves around sin and appealing to those, those base appetites. But we need to show the beauty and the glory and the truth of Jesus Christ through every medium available. Yeah, and use it for the, uh, uh, the good of our neighbor. Today's, uh, as we're doing this program, it's St. Francis, which is all about the good of our neighbor. That's what St. Francis was all about, giving up his privileges for the good of our neighbor. And so how can we do that? I, You know, back in the, the book of Genesis, there's a story about 
a bunch of whole civilization that God had blessed with technologies. But in their use of technologies, they got to think that it was about themselves. And it was called Babel. And uh, the gift of making buildings is a good thing. <laughs> but what happened was they thought it was about them. And they decided to make the biggest buildings they could for themselves. And as a result, it led to the division of humanity. Well, you know, are we doing the same with technology? Have we, have we missed the point? It's not about us. It's about him and how we can use this technology to take the good news to others. And that's Amen. what you guys are doing in St. Paul Center, which is an ob it's just a great thing, what you guys are doing. In fact, maybe tell the audience, I know those viewing this little podcast can see your website, but tell them about uh, your website. Sure, it's Matthew S. Leonard, S is in Solomon, which is actually my middle name. So MatthewSLeonard.com, <laughs> and uh, I've also got a podcast as well, Mark, it's called The Art of Catholic. So that's where people can find me, and, and uh, I do a lot of St. Paul Center stuff on those places as well. And, and you got a couple books there laying on your desk in front of I, you. I do. Uh, the, the latest one is called Prayer Works, Getting a Grip on Catholic Spirituality. Go through all kinds of different things with prayer and the three stages of the spiritual life. Great. And then my first book uh, it was laying on the, on the table when I was on your show a long time ago, uh, <laughs> Louder Than Words, The Art of Living as a Catholic, and, and both of those are available at MatthewSLeonard.com. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for joining thanks. us on Deep in Scripture then. Matt, what what verse have you chosen for us to look out as a look at today as a hard verse? I chose Matthew 12, 36, and uh, it goes like this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, men will render account for every careless word they utter. <laughs> and, and I chose that, frankly, Marcus, because it scares the dickens out of me. <laughs> and, and I think if people would sit down and think about it for a while, it should scare the dickens out of them, too, because, I, you know, I, you're, I, you're a paragon of holiness, I know. Oh, oh, I, no, uh, hardly. I, Just... have, I have said some ridiculous <laughs> things in my life, Marcus, for which I would love to take the Etch-A-Sketch, you know, and, and shake it and, and erase and go back a, over again. So that, 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 to me, is one of the hardest and scariest verses in all of Scripture. Well, as you look back, as you've come from a variety of Christian traditions, do you remember— what you did with that verse in the past? You know, you know to be honest, um, I mean, I, I had a, a, such a wide variety in my background, and I, I was—I described myself as a Protestant mutt of kinds. And so, <laughs> as a as a Calvinist in high school, where I was taking four years of Calvinist philosophy, and while attending a charismatic, you know, free will Arminian church. We would look at this verse completely differently. You know, obviously the free will church says you got a free will. And so if you're uttering careless words, you could lose your salvation. I mean, Jesus, there, there's a warning going on here. And of course, the, the predestination that was in the, in the Calvinist tradition is like, well, it doesn't really matter a whole lot what you do because you're, you're either going or you're not. But to be perfectly honest, as a kid growing up in, in these environments, I wasn't paying too much attention I think I've paid attention to this verse a whole lot more as a Catholic, frankly, than I did when, when I was growing up in, in the different faith traditions. And now I, I think paying more attention to the writings of St. Paul in a particular way yeah. and probably tending more toward the, the free will side of things uh, when I see this and I realize that Paul says, you work out your salvation in fear and trembling and you better watch exactly what you say, that's why I think I focus on this. You, you know, know, as I look back, it's interesting. I have a, a huge file cabinet at, at home. Actually, it's out in my barn. 
Um, and it's the notes from all my old sermons that I preached as a Protestant pastor for 10 years, and they're all there. And I don't remember preaching on this verse. Mm. And my particular brand of evangelical Presbyterian Calvin Lutheranism was all kind of there together. Um, when it dealt with this kind of a thing, we fell back on the idea that Luther were totally depraved and were just a sinful being covered with the, the justification and graciousness of Jesus Christ. But in the end, underneath, I'm manure. And, and the idea was that if when I face judgment, as this verse talks about, that I, I immediately deflect the view of Christ or the view of God the Father away from me because I'm a sinner to Jesus to say it's him. It's his mercy. It's his justification. It's his grace. It's not me. So a verse like this, all it would have done is reminded me how unworthy a person I am, because obviously I have no control over my mouth. The book of James tells us how the tongue destroys us. You know, it, it can't be controlled. And so it always would have drawn me back to, I'm a worthless sinner, except for the grace of Jesus Christ, and I grovel before him for his mercy. And there's really nothing I can do. And the point being, it didn't always straighten out my mouth, because I would just say, I can't help it. I'm depraved, but for the grace of God. And, and, and I'm not sure it ever straightened me out. Well, I don't think we ever get perfectly straightened out. Well, let's there's be that. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we're in the other side of heaven. But, you know, you bring up this great point because even when we would fall into that and we would say things that we regretted or whatever, there was never really a sincere change or maybe we'd strive after it for a little while. But what I didn't have and what you didn't have were real channels of grace to actually help us change that. And that's the big thing. I mean, the sacraments obviously play a huge role in us reforming our ways because you're right this is you know James talks very clearly about how your religion is in vain if you don't bridle your tongue and so there's all kinds of places where the seriousness is really explicated in scripture and we're supposed to change we have to change because if this whole life is about becoming like Jesus Christ again how how am I supposed to be like if I'm I'm constantly saying garbage yeah yeah and and um but that's awesome. Depending on your theology, then, a verse like this can lead to a number of things. And the context, the verse before, where it says, the good man out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And so, therefore, if my mouth is a mess, well, that just points to what an evil man I am. Look yeah. at the look at the bad. So the point is that theology doesn't necessarily lead one to recognize I got to change my life. It may, it leads one to only focus on how how depraved I am, and so therefore I'm glad I got Jesus. <laughs> That's right, and I think this point is huge. Imperfections in our lives make themselves known in what we say. This is such a this is one of the reasons why this is scary to me, especially since, you know, I'm on the road a lot speaking. I know you do that too. We're out in the public eye. And so you have to really watch yourself a lot and everyone does. But if you're a person who thinks lustful thoughts, it's going to come out in lewd speech. 
You know, if you are angry on the inside, you're going to lash out at other people. Uh, if you're jealous of someone, you're going to backstab or whatever. And, and that's another reason why uh, this this is so big. And I think to your point, too, about the deflecting it from ourselves, it's just a cop out. At the end of the day, it's a complete and utter cop out, which means I don't really have to change. Thanks be to God for his mercy and grace. That's not what Jesus says. Yeah. And it's, it's a good point because you come from all those mixed backgrounds is to understand that Luther's view on total depravity is not the view of the Catholic Church or the view of St. Thomas Aquinas or Augustine. I mean, there's there's a different way of understanding what happened back on, at the garden with That's Adam right. and what now remains. And that might be a good point to explain, if you would, to our audience, the background to understanding our responsibility for what comes out of our mouth. Well, if you get that wrong, you get everything wrong because we, we don't, we, the way I was raised is, you know, when original sin completely and utterly corrupted us. And so there's nothing good that I can possibly do. So how can I even control my tongue? <laughs> nothing yeah. can change. Yeah. But obviously the Catholic version of that is different and we're not completely and utterly depraved. We're distorted. But the whole process of the sacramental life in the church is meant to, to kind of undistort us, to make us, to reshape us and conform us once again so that we can be united with Jesus Christ in heaven. And so we have to pay attention when Jesus is saying, you know, don't say these bad things, don't do those bad things. But he doesn't just say, don't do it. He gives us the power to do it through the sacraments. Yeah, if we are tempted, like you mentioned a moment ago, if what's going on inside uh, anger, bitterness, jealousy, uh, lewd thoughts, all that stuff going on inside. Um, our awareness by grace of what that means is important. Recognizing that if a thought comes through our mind before it comes out our lips, if that thought comes in our mind by grace, we can recognize item one, it's a temptation. That's not sin yet. It's what we do with it. It's a temptation. St. Francis de Sales talks about it as the introduction to the devout life, the first thought that comes in. You know, it's a, it's a temptation, either from the world or the flesh or the devil. It isn't sin yet, but it's what we do with that and understand it that grace empowers us to move forward. Yeah. It's true, and I, I would even take it a, another step back, Marcus, because, yes, we cannot control the thoughts that come into our mind, but we can certainly have some influence on it because the thoughts that are banging around inside of our head are often influenced by the things that we're looking at in the rest of the world. And so recollection and, and, and being able to maintain a certain kind of silence in our speech isn't just something that happens. You have to work at it, and a lot of that starts by what it is that we are taking into our minds. That's how we control our thoughts. Uh, you know, yeah, obviously yeah. you can't completely do it, but stop watching the bad stuff. Yeah. Stop listening to the bad music. Stop filling your mind with that garbage, and that will help purify your mind. I, the, the analogy I always love to use is like a, it's like a pitcher of of inky black water, and you can't get rid of that ink. How do you siphon that out? You can't. And so what you do is you pour more clean water in, and the more clean water that comes in, the less inky the water. That's like our minds. And that's the way we purify our speech is by starting before we ever talk. You just gave a wonderful commentary interpretation of another verse in this context where our Lord says, either make the tree good 
and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. So the point is this issue of make it, make it good, make it bad. In other words, when you're a gardener, uh, you do a lot of things to help that plant be a good plant or a bad plant. It's fertilizer. It's uh, however you take care of it, get rid of the weeds. That's what you're talking about. All the things that influence that plant so that its fruit is good. Or if you don't and you allow the weeds and the other stuff to influence, it's bad fruit. That's exactly what you're talking about. Our responsibility long before that temptation hits us is dealing with the context of our life. Yeah, and what's really interesting, too, is all of this does wedded together. I mean, so much of Catholic theology just, just overlaps and interweaves into each other. And I think that one of the reasons why I didn't look at this verse so deeply as I do now is because I didn't see how it was integrated with my prayer life either. Because silence, you know, guarding your tongue obviously comes into play in, in how it is you relate with God. And so silence isn't just something about, you know, controlling the words that you say, it's your interior life. And if you don't have a control over your interior life, that exterior noise can drown out your interior life and you can't commune with God. And if you can't commune with God, then when you go forward to receive the sacraments, the channels aren't clear enough for that grace to come and impact your life so then you can get control over these things that you might yeah. say. Yeah. It all comes together. Yeah. You know, I, I remember on my journey into the Catholic Church reading Tom Howard's book on evangelical is not enough. Yeah. And he talks in there a chapter about prayer and the, the misunderstanding of our separated brethren who don't understand the, the beauty of prayer liturgical prayer or written prayer, they think what's well, better to have just spontaneous prayer. Of course, Tom Howard points out that all spontaneous prayer ultimately is liturgical prayer because we use the same words over and over again. Like Father God, Father God. Yeah, oh, really, really just, you know, I just really, uh, you know, Lord Jesus, I just really, really just, you know. But but the, the point, uh, going on, tagging on to what you said there, the beauty of of nurturing our soul with liturgical prayer and um, you know the great prayers of the Catholic spiritual tradition is that they uh, they nurture our words they nurture the words we use to God they nurture the way we express ourselves they help us understand how to pray correctly as opposed to leaving it up to whatever words we happen to have in our vocabulary that's exactly right. And I love the fact, you know, as a pastor's kid, you were a pastor. I was a pastor's kid. Yep. You were all, it, when, when it was time to pray, you know, it was showtime, you know. And so <laughs> it, more often than not, I wasn't thinking about talking to God. I was just trying to make myself look halfway decent in front of everybody else in the way I prayed. What I love about Catholic prayers is that it allows me, when these are said prayers that I know by heart, it allows me to immediately still my mind and kind of forget about um, anyone else around me who are praying the same thing and really enter more deeply into the meditation and the and the the recollected moment of my interaction with God through that prayer. And so set prayers, liturgical prayers, help me to quiet my interior life, especially when I have them memorized. Yeah. I love that about Catholicism. Yeah, two verses that I come to mind and uh, I probably won't put my finger exactly on where they are that speak to the very verse you're talking about. Okay, and we're going to talk, and I'm going to ask you to answer in a moment 
that, well, wait, how are we going to render account for every single little word? We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But two verses that form a sandwich for this in a way, we have Jesus saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And what that means. In other words, about swearing, about all of that. Um, He's just saying, let your yes be yes, but your no be no. That's on earlier in Matthew. And then we jump to Paul, and you're an expert on Paul. No, talk, I'm, I'm, well, I know, I know. I'm, we're let's not get carried away. Okay. <laughs> but the idea of speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Right, right. You know, those two things. Talk about those as a sandwich with this in the middle. Let me, let me point to a, another verse that Great. ties into this as well. And that is, you know, Paul talks about how whatever, what we're supposed to focus on and what we're supposed to talk about is whatever is true and whatever is honorable and whatever is just and whatever is pure and whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, you know, anything worth praise, that's what we're supposed to be talking about. And, and this is where we get into trouble, Marcus, when we're not doing that, then we're going to have imperfections in our speech. Uh, Paul is so crystal clear on, on, the the uh, the power of what it is we say, and I, this is another point. I think that we forget that words have power. Yeah. They're real. They mean something. And so when we say something, I mean, how how often are we damaged by what someone else says to us? How easy yeah. it is to to tear someone down, and rather we should be building people up because there's a reality there. And I think that's what. This is what Paul is speaking to. This is what Jesus is speaking to. This is what Scripture speaks to. Yeah, there's a place in uh, 1 Corinthians where Paul complains about Christians suing one another. <laughs> you know, and he's he, he's mortified by that. But he says in that, isn't it just better to be wronged? He makes that little comment. You know what I mean? And what that means to me is, is again, we're dealing with words coming out. Uh, as opposed to, you know, dealing with our oversensitivity, dealing with what's going on in here when somebody says something that bothers me, what's going to come out of my mouth at that moment? You know, yeah, you know what? Uh, those are such a massive opportunity too for humility. If you really think about it that way, um, when someone says something like that to us and it cuts us, and, and I think this is part of what Paul's saying, let it go. Yeah. Because that's the opportunity then to be like the lamb who was slain. You know, what did Jesus Christ endure for us in silence? And when we endure that kind of thing in silence, we're becoming more and more like him. So, Matt, you're the the expert on, that's why I have you join me on this program here. Uh, and you know, <laughs> you shouldn't I'm... shouldn't use words like, don't we use but, words like that, Marcus. But, but you know, we're... we're <laughs> we, we recognize, you know, that uh, I've found that the older I get, the dumber I know I am. And uh, the more, I, and, and more importantly, the more that I daily look into the Word of God, I realize, but for the grace of God, uh, go I when I know people that are totally loose on this whole verse. So what do we mean? How do we understand what Jesus is saying here, on the day of judgment, men will render account for every careless word they utter. Every careless word they utter. Uh, I think it's probably just like any other sin. I mean, how are we going to render account for any sin uh, that we commit? And obviously, when Christ 
paid the price. He paid the eternal consequences of sin, but there's still temporal consequences for what it is that we do on earth. And if we haven't paid the price, so to speak, uh, then there are going to be consequences. And that consequence happens in purgatory. And exactly what that's going to look like vis-a-vis the words that we say that we shouldn't have, I don't know. I don't want to find out, to be perfectly honest. And I think the encouragement and the hope and what we should be striving for, as with all sin, is, you know what? Do your penance now. If you know you've said some things that you should not have said, uh, then do penance for them. Make amends for what it is you've done while you still can with an act of the will because you're never going to get away with sin. We're never going to get away with our words. I think, and I think that this is one of the easiest ways to slide into sin because we think that, you know, we say the words and they're gone. Well, yeah. it's just not reality. Yeah. Yeah. God knows. God remembers. And the damage and the repercussions and the ripple effect from what it is that we say can go on for a long, long time. How, how often do we remember the words that people have said about us? And actually that leads to sin in our own lives too. We have to be able to forgive people for the careless words they've uttered about us. Don't react, but it's not just enough to not react. We have to forgive. But for those that we have wronged or the things that we have said, do penance now. I mean, that that's that's the biggest piece of encouragement and hope I can give anybody. Well, you mentioned that what changed also in your life is uh, in terms of being a part of the church and having the sacramental graces that, that's right. it, that both empower us to recognize the effects of this, the world, the flesh and the devil on our life in a way that we couldn't before because of grace that's working with us, but also the freedom that the sacraments offer. Uh, You know, in John 20, our Lord gives to his chosen apostles this great blessing of of being able to forgive sins. So we take advantage of that, as you said, in in the sacrament, the confession, so we know. And John says in 1 John that, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. You know, the connection with that. Yeah, and there's real grace there. It's actually a real paradox, too, because the deeper you go in the spiritual life, the more aware you are of these imperfections that you have. You know, you kind of touched on that earlier. And uh, I think that when you move into what spiritual writers traditionally call the illuminative stage or the second stage of the spiritual life, which is kind of like, you know, adolescence in the natural life, and you start to kind of pinpoint these little sins that we have, and I think that's where, you know, careless words will start to make themselves known to you. Uh, you're more aware of it, and it kind of depresses you on that level, but at the same, by the same token, we also get the graces that we need in order to pull up those deep roots uh, of, yeah. of the weeds that grow there. They're not the big mortal sin, maybe, that we've dealt with earlier in our life, but we need to deal with these imperfections if we're gonna, if we're gonna be like Jesus Christ. It, I, it, the three ways of the spiritual life, which were a new thing to me when I became Catholic, um, and, when, and reading St. Um, Teresa, uh, the simplest way that I have come to understand them, and, and, and you're probably, with your book, I'm sure you do a better job than me, is that the first stage, I think it was St. Teresa said that the, the hardest stage is the second. The first one, we're cleaning up the stuff that's visible to everybody else. The obvious sins, maybe you're cleaning up our language, you're cleaning up what we do with our hands and our senses. 
And the danger is that when we get to the second stage of the spiritual life, I think it's called the purgate, the passive purgation of the of the, the senses, senses yeah. is that the outside we look pretty good. Mm-hmm. We look pretty good to folk. And this might be a lot of Christ, Christians that are walking around carrying their Bibles and they're looking like pretty holy folk. But the problem is become then very aware of the mess inside. And that's when we're aware of, of the hidden bitternesses or the, that's when the, the devil gets us with the temptation, the stuff that can erupt into that language. And we're all of a sudden saying things that, why did I say that? Where'd that come from? Because the stuff's boiling up on the inside. And, you know, the, the need for recognizing that the grace that helped clean up the outside, the, maybe the easy stuff, oh, I know I shouldn't be doing that, is also available to clean up that inside that becomes very aware to us on the journey. Yeah, I think in that passive purification of the senses you're talking about, which is the bridge between the first and the second stage, I think one of the things that leads to that danger is you don't feel the presence of God anymore. And that's what that purification of the senses is. You know, God pulls himself a little bit back from you. And so you don't really have the great, you know, sense of, hey, I'm a Christian in that joy in the, the early convert stage. And this is great, you know, and all of a sudden God pulls himself back and you're kind of left with yourself there. And that's when the magnifying glass comes out and you start to see these these other sins. And as I said, it, it kind of depresses you in that sense because you realize I'm a lot worse than what I thought I was. I might have been totally distorted back in the garden, but you know, I, I still have a lot of growing to do. But that's the beautiful thing about the spiritual life. It's not a marathon or it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah. And we have time to grow. It's supposed to be an organic process. You don't grow from being a baby into adulthood, you know, overnight in the natural world. And you don't do that in the spiritual life either. And God, you know, mercy is God's greatest attribute because it's the sum of his wisdom and his power and his goodness, as Thomas says. And, and so we can always fall back on God's mercy, even when these imperfections are magnified to us and we can throw ourselves you know, upon the grace that are available to us in a tangible way in the sacraments. Yeah, a very positive, maybe one last little thought on this great verse, which is, we could talk a lot of things. Did you feel the same way too? One of the things that I found as becoming a Catholic and understanding Catholic theology and spirituality is the recognition when he says, render account for every careless word, mm. careless word. See, I, I was more on the oppression from my Calvinist background that I really had no control. I, there was no option to live a more perfect life, to grow in perfection. I was just depraved. I mean, that's my Lutheran and Calvin background. But the idea from a Catholic perspective that, yes, by grace, we can choose to not say certain things. We can choose not to see, to do, to be different. We can grow in holiness. That's our understanding. It isn't a Pelagian idea of it's me. No, it's grace. It's always grace, but we can surrender to grace to become more Christ-like in our walk. Yeah, because it was a cop-out before. I I use that phrase, and, and I don't use it loosely, but it doesn't make any demands upon you. And And that's the thing about the Catholic life that I love, it makes demands upon me to be a yeah. better man, to be a better Christian, to be a better, you know, a better, uh, well, be, to be a saint, yeah. right? I mean, at the end of the day, that's what I, that's the demand that's being made on me. But as you said, you don't have to do it yourself. And I'm always falling back 
on the sacraments. But of course, you know, the, the careless words and, and saying the things that we should say always manifests itself too in our lives of prayer. You've got to say the right things in prayer even. Yeah, you're, it's, a, it's a sin to utter careless words, but you better learn how to say the right things. In fact, the catechism says it's not enough to have the will to pray, you have to learn how to pray. And that's when our words are actually most powerful. And so learn how to pray, that'll help you to stop doing, saying the bad things because you're availing yourselves of the sacraments. And when you're in deep relationship with God, again, the grace flows freely. And it, it's just all an organic process that leads us to Jesus Christ if we will avail ourselves of all the avenues that God gives us. Well, there's a wonderful prayer that we all need to memorize. And it's, it's called Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on have me, mercy on, on you. a sinner, you know, and right. you know, you learn that Jesus. and there you are, you know, and if you got, if you're, if you're embattled by bad thoughts, bad temptations, uh, you're in a weak moment, there you are. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me read this, uh, real quickly, this little paragraph, cause people are saying, well, how do we, how can we exercise, you know, silence over the tongue and and not say the wrong things when we have to talk so much and everybody's got to talk unless you're a mime you know you you don't you have to talk and especially for someone like you that we're on a microphone to the whole world you know <laughs> there know. you are how rich is this that we're talking about you know controlling our words when here you and i are and, and uh, it's such it's, a, it's a, such a reassuring thing to know that both of our presidential candidates have some good control over their tongue we, <laughs> we won't go there <laughs> let's not talk about politics no 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 religion no. <laughs> Well, this, this uh, golden rule of speech comes from Father Edward Lean, who is this great 20th century spiritual writer. And this is what he says. Never speak merely for one's own sake or for one's own gratification or to satisfy some impulse, but solely for the glory of God, for the right accomplishment of duty, for the promotion of truth, for the exercise of charity, for the comfort of the sorrowful, and for the purpose of brightening the day of one's fellows. That's the golden rule of how you can maintain control of your tongue, even in the midst of speaking. And if you find that too hard to really just uh, go with right away, then practice just being quiet until you can actually do that. Every word, how can it uplift the person around me? That's right. And as a husband and a father, my number one goal in life is to do everything I can to help my wife get to heaven. So maybe when she gets her, she might put in a good word for me. <laughs> it needs to be about her. That's right. And not about me. I mean, that's... Because it, it's all self-gift. Yeah, right. It always comes back to that. Matt, thank you. What a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. What's your website again? It's MatthewSLeonard.com. And, and thanks for having me on, Marcus. It was a real pleasure. Oh, we'll have to do it again. Thank you also, all of you, for joining us on Deep in Scripture. We'd love to hear from you. You can write us an email at dis at chnetwork.org. God bless you. Look forward to being with you again next week. Mm -hmm.